Let me invite you to turn again in your copy of God's Word, this time to the New Testament. Our text this morning can be found in Matthew's Gospel. It is Matthew uh, chapter 13, verses 1 to 23. You can find this on page 818 if you're using the Pew Bible uh, in the rack in front of you. Uh, this Sunday and the next three Sundays, we will be in uh, the parables. It's not a sort of a classic separate Advent sermon series, but we are focusing on the parables. Uh, Matthew groups together eight parables in one chapter for us. We'll be in them for three weeks, and then Sunday morning, uh, Christmas morning, we'll be uh, back in Nazareth where Jesus uh, is uh, rejected as uh, those around him consider his parents. Isn't it just a carpenter, and isn't it uh, just the one we know as Mary? So that's where we're going to be uh, over the next four months, sort of a Maybe a series within a series, uh, we might call it. These parables are very familiar to us, but you may not have realized we haven't done any parables yet uh, in Matthew's gospel. There's a few more to come, but really they're grouped together here. And something we find out uh, in the first few verses is that this is one day for Jesus. Sometimes our gospel authors will move different things around to you know, group certain, certain themes together. Uh, and Matthew's done that some, but here it appears to be uh, one long day of teaching. Uh, and so you are going to hear very familiar parables, maybe some unfamiliar ones. Uh, the one this morning before us is a very familiar one, the parable of the sower, but stuck right in the middle is an explanation of why we, Jesus speaks in, in parables at all. And that's pretty important both for this morning uh, and for the rest of uh, the chapter. So we're going to read it all. We're going to look at the parable itself as well as uh, the purpose of parables in general. So follow along with me, Matthew uh, chapter 13, beginning with verse 1. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. And great crowds gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil. And immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. Since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears to hear, or he who has ears, excuse me, let him hear. Then the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. That is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled. That says, you will indeed hear, but never understand. And you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull. And with their ears, they can barely hear. And their eyes, they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn. And I would heal them. But... Blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly, I say to you, many prophets and righteous people longed 
to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself but endures for a while, and when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. The grass withers, the flower fades, the word of our God will stand forever. Would you join me again in prayer? Oh Lord, we come to our text today and it seems so clear on the surface. And yet, what a warning it offers that every one of us hears, but not every one of us understands. And every one of us sees, but not every one of us perceives. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would soften and open our hearts today. That we would not just hear the words and a little bit of their meaning. We would understand Jesus. We would understand him offered to us in the gospel. And that you would lead us to turn and to rest upon him alone today. We ask this all in Christ's name. Amen. When's the last time you had your hearing checked? For some of you, it might have been this past week, a couple weeks ago, a couple months ago. Some of you are in that stage where you need to get your hearing checked a lot more than you used to have to get it checked. You regularly go in. Some of you can't remember the last time. Or maybe the last time you remember is that time as a child. That's the last time I can remember of going in to the doctor and they put those those headphones on and they play a series of beeps or or tones or something and it's different volume levels and you sit there and you you concentrate really hard and, and you lift up your hand when you think you hear something and they're reading and reacting and checking down all that you hear and more importantly, all that you don't hear. And then they give you a report when it's done, how's your... How's your hearing? You've taken the test. How's your hearing doing? In our passage today, Jesus gives a hearing test. He tests the hearing of his listeners then, and quite frankly, he tests the hearing of every one of us today. But Jesus, of course, doesn't use the technology of headphones and different volumes of tones for us to listen to. No, Jesus tests our hearing through parables. I I sort of lost count of the amount of times he used that imagery of ears that don't hear. He used the same one for eyes that don't see, but not quite as often. The ears were mentioned more often, right? It's over and over again, ears and hearing and listening. Question is not from Jesus, do your ears work so that you hear sounds? It's what's the distance from your ears down to your heart? Not do you hear, but you saw that word multiple times do you understand so what i want you to see this morning is that jesus is testing our hearts every one of us i got tested a couple days ago uh when i had to study this but now all of us together he's testing all of our hearts through the parables 
that reveal our understanding. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand or not if you hear the tone. I'm not going to talk quietly to hear if you hear me. But I want you to consider, are you hearing this? Does your hand metaphorically go up at the end of the message of Jesus? Or do you have ears, but they don't work? And do you have ears that don't hear? I'm going to spend a couple minutes in the doctor's office with Jesus, getting a hearing test today. In our passage, the test reveals a few different types of hearing or a few different types of people. That's what we're going to look at. What are the types of people that are revealed in this test? The first type of people are what I'm calling the uncomprehending. The uncomprehending. You could also use the word the ununderstanding. I don't think that's actually a word though, right? It's those who don't understand. You see where we're going with our second type of people. But the first are the uncomprehending, those who don't understand. We need to begin with the purpose that Jesus uses, not only for all parables, but particularly for this parable. Now you'll see the connections. All of thirteen, chapter 13 uh, is a teaching section for Jesus. There are eight parables. They're broken up into two parts, two groups of eight particularly for two different audiences. You heard verse 1, look back at it. We read that same day, so back to the teaching uh, and the, the sermon from Jim from last week. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. Now, I want you to skip ahead. We'll get to this next week, but look at verse 36 of chapter 13. It says there, Then he left the crowds and went into the house. So Jesus is in two places in chapter 13. He's outside the house and he's inside the house. And I'll do the math for you. There's four parables outside the house and there's four inside the house. Even more than the location where Jesus is giving the parables is the audience of the parables. Back again to verse 2. He's outside the house, he's down by the sea, and great crowds gathered about him. Skipping ahead to verse 36. Then he left the crowds and went into the house and his disciples came to him. We have four parables where Jesus is outside the house and he's speaking to the crowds. And then we're going to see the next couple weeks, four parables when he's inside the house and he's speaking to disciples through parables. So why does Jesus use parables? That's what the disciples come to ask him in verse 10. They say, why do you speak, note this, to them in parables? Jesus' answer, he'll give it in a long quote, but it's essentially this. He speaks in parables to divide the two groups. The parables, the effect of the parables, are the same effect of a hearing test. They divide into the group that hears and the group that doesn't hear. Just as a hearing test would divide people into those who hear and those who are deaf. There's two groups of people here. Verse 10, the disciples are asking about them. So there's an us and there's a them in the language of the disciples. And Jesus' answer helps us understand what separates these two groups. He begins uh, the end of verse 11, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. You are the disciples, them are the crowds. You know the secrets, they Them do not know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. Now, what are the secrets of the kingdom of heaven? Well, they're not secrets anymore to those who know them, right? The secrets are Jesus. (laughs) Jesus is the king. Jesus has come to usher in the kingdom of heaven. 
Jesus has come to proclaim the gospel of the kingdom far and wide, such that not only national Israel, but also all people from all nations may come in. Not that people are brought in by their own works and their own righteousness and doing good. Entrance into the kingdom of heaven is in and through Jesus. That he has come to proclaim not more rules for you to obey. He has come to proclaim himself as the ruling and reigning king that calls all people to repent and come and believe and enter his kingdom. Who knows these secrets? Well, the disciples who believe. Right? By believing in the king, they enter his kingdom and they know the secrets of the kingdom. They're no longer secrets for them. But them, the crowds, it has not been given this. Verse 12. For to the one who has, more will be given and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, that's the crowds who don't know the secrets, even what he has will be taken away. Now, how can you lose something you don't already have? That doesn't really happen. The picture here is of the, the crowds, the people that don't trust and don't believe, moving further and further away from Jesus. That's what we have seen in the last two months as we've been preaching through chapter 11 and chapter 12. What have we seen? We have seen people growing harder and harder towards Jesus. It's not that Jesus is being secretive. No, Jesus has said he is the shepherd for those who do not have a shepherd. He has gone to them and said he is gentle and lowly. And they are all invited to come to him in faith. He has declared himself the Lord of the Sabbath, that they can come rest in him. He does not extinguish the faintly burning wick. He does not break the bruised reed over and over and over again. And yet, what did we see last week? Give us a sign, Jesus. All that's not enough. I need something else. Jesus is not moving away from the crowds. The crowds are moving away from Jesus. I talked two weeks ago. Blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is continued rejection of Jesus. Have you seen the pattern? They keep rejecting Christ. Last week, he was called an ev- they were called an evil and adulterous generation. This is no surprise for Jesus. He gives us the answer here in these verses. He says in verse 14, that he has come to fulfill the prophet Isaiah, particularly the prophecy in Isaiah chapter 6. Some of you know this prophecy. It's that beautiful picture of uh, God and his glory filling right the throne room and the, the train of his robe and it's thundering and it's, it's, it's overwhelming to the senses and Isaiah falls down, says, woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips, I dwell amongst the people of unclean lips. God heals him, he restores him, and Isaiah is sent out by God to proclaim to the masses, and they come fleeing into the kingdom of God. Not exactly. God sends Isaiah to a people who hear but don't hear, who see but don't see. Verse 15, a people whose heart has grown cold. The prophet prophesies to a hard-hearted and unbelieving people who reject him and they reject his message. They hear, but they don't do anything with it. The end of verse 15, they don't understand because if they understood with their hearts, they would turn. They would turn, but they are not turning. So they haven't understood and they haven't heard. You've heard preachers say before that the longest distance in the world is the distance between your head and your heart. Might add the distance between your ears and your heart. 
And Jesus comes to say, I have fulfilled Isaiah because they're not listening to me either. <laughs> they didn't listen to him. I've got a better message. I got a bigger pulpit. I have a bigger crowd and they're still not listening. Their hearts are hard against me. Or again, to quote the prophet Isaiah, their hearts have grown dull. Dull hearts. Right? The opposite of sharp, right? You know, a dull knife, it's ineffective, it doesn't do anything. I mean, you kids know when you're at school and you try to cut with those dull scissors and they won't even cut one little piece of paper. That's describing the hearts of people listening to the gospel. People, even right now, whose hearts are dull to the words of Jesus. So why does he speak in parables? The answer here is to further reveal and condemn their hard hearts. To further reveal and condemn their hard hearts. He is talking a little bit more veiled. He's talking in a way that's a little bit harder to understand as a way to give them over to their hearts that have continually grown harder and harder. I want you to imagine for a second that you have an annoying neighbor. Some of you don't have to imagine that, right? <laughs> uh, you do have that annoying neighbor. And you've tried everything to get him to leave you alone. The final step is you're going to build a wall between you and your neighbor. And you're going to take some bricks out and you're going to pour that foundation and you're going to go out every day and you're going to put in a row of bricks and you're going to stack it up and you're going to silence and, and, and get that neighbor out of your life. What Jesus is telling us is that the people that hear and don't respond over and over again, every time they're adding a brick to that wall. They don't want to hear Jesus. There's a brick. He tells them how gentle and kind he is. They don't want to hear it. Another brick. And every day, they're out there with wet cement, stacking up those bricks. And Jesus continues to offer himself to people who reject him over and over and over again. And finally, as the wall is almost closed off, he says, fine, you're just going to get some parables. And you're not going to understand those either. For them, and maybe for us, the concrete is still wet in their rejection of Jesus, but it's hardening, and it's hardening fast. There's only so many more words of his that they're going to hear, and they're probably not going to understand a single more word he says. This describes the uncomprehending people. Does it describe you. It's not the only it's not the only group in these verses. Because if the first group fails to understand, the opposite group is fairly opposite, I mean fairly obvious, they understand. So if number one we see the uncomprehending, those who hear the beep and don't raise their hand, we see the understanding on the other side. They hear and, and, and they do understand. And who's this group? Well these are the disciples. Right. Go back with me to verse 11. The disciples has been given the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. They didn't find them. They didn't discover them. They didn't dream them up. They were given to these men. And, verse 12, the one who has, more will be given. What's the more in this text? The more is understanding the parables. <laughs> right? They have received a lot. And now Jesus is going to start talking in parables. And they're going to understand it. They're going to receive even more from him. The soft-hearted, hearing disciples, upon them will be heaped up the blessings of the kingdom of heaven. 
if we skip ahead, I know I'm stealing my point from next, for next week, but if we turn back again uh, to where we're going next week, verse 36 tells us he goes into the house, he leaves the crowds, he goes to the disciples. But right before that, in verse 35, he quotes another Old Testament prophet. This time he quotes the psalm, and he says, I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. That sounds like the opposite of how he's using parables to the crowds, and it is. Because for the crowds, Jesus conceals, and for the disciples, he reveals. The very same words out of the mouth of Jesus have the effect of hardening the hard and softening the soft. That for those who have received him, they mount up blessing. Look at verse 16. Blessed are your eyes for they see and your ears for they hear. Truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see and didn't see it. They longed to hear the gospel that you hear and they did not hear it. If you are a Christian, then as a disciple today, trusting in Christ, indeed you are blessed. (laughs) Because it's been given to you. You did not discover this. You did not figure out Jesus on your own. You did not earn him. You did not righteously achieve him. Your heart was as hard as everybody else. And what happened is the Spirit came and softened your heart and gave you the gift of faith. We saw this morning in Psalm 8, which we we already sang the words, what is man that you are mindful of him? Cannot we say in the gospel like the disciples, who am I that you would soften my heart? that you would give me the incredible gift of faith. The disciples, amazingly, pass the test. They fail almost all the tests they take, right? But here they pass the test. And how do they pass this hearing test? They understand. They understand. Now, it's not intellectual. The disciples aren't smarter than the crowds. They're not smarter than the priests. They're not smarter than the Pharisees. Later on, Jesus tells a parable in, in chapter 23 and the Pharisees say, you know, I think he's talking about us. <laughs> like they get it. They, they intellectually understand the parables. The disciples don't always understand the parables. They have to ask Jesus. We're going to see this next week. They have to ask him, wait a second, what did that mean? To understand is not intellectual. To understand is action. And the action, the only action given here is to turn. Is to turn to Jesus. Is to return to him. It is the language of Repentance. You cannot understand Christ without turning to him and being healed. And if you haven't turned to him, then you don't understand. You could write an an exegetical paper on this text. You could give a theological lecture. You could know every point of our precious doctrine. And you would be deaf as the day is long because you haven't turned to him. You kids know this, right? You know what it's like when mom or dad call you to go to dinner. You want to keep playing your game. You want to keep watching your show. You don't want to close out the app that you're playing on. You've heard them call you. You know what those words mean, but you haven't gotten up to go, have you? You have ears, but they don't hear. So your mom's thinking at least. She hollers for you again, right? The the implication of understanding is action. So on one side, we have those who are dull and unresponsive. The beeps are in the the headphone, but they don't ever raise their hand. The other side, we have those the soft-hearted the understanding, those who hear, those who respond, the disciples, what, who, what are they characterized by? What did Pastor Jim say last week? They listen. They listen, right? 
The, the hard-hearted don't hear. The disciples listen. They, they follow in faith. The people of God repent of their sin and believe the gospel. They trust Jesus to restore them and they obey his word. We listen and we follow. The uncomprehending and the understanding. Now with all that in mind, we can look at the parable. We can understand what Jesus is telling us in the parable. His explanation in verse 18. You see the first word of his explanation? Here. (laughs) Here. He goes on to give us these four uh, different types of soils. This parable, you probably know it as the parable of the sower. That's that old language of sowing seeds, planting seeds, sort of scattering them out. It's not sowing in fabric, right? It's planting seeds. It's really, I think we can call it the parable of the soils. There's four different types of soil, illustrating four different stages of the human heart, or four different abilities to hear and understand. So the sowing is the proclamation of the word of God, right? It is the spread of the gospel. It is announcing the work of Jesus who has come to live and to die for sinners that we might be made right in the sight of God by trusting the intercessory work of Jesus on the cross for us. That's the, the, pro, the proclaimed announcement. Now, how does that seed sit in different types of soil? Well, we've just been with the understanding, so let's go to that soil. That's soil number four. That's the good soil. That soil is where the seed lands there. It takes root. It grows up. It produces grain, different amounts of grain. That's sort of immaterial here, uh, but it grows up. These are the understanding disciples. The key here is understanding. The steps are laid out in verse 23. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who, number one, hears the word, and number two, understands it. To understand the word is to bear fruit. It is to produce fruit. Different amounts of fruit are sort of irrelevant to this. To hear and to understand is to be planted in the good soil. Understanding is to bear fruit. What is that fruit? That action is turning to God, repenting of sin, confessing before the Lord, trusting in Christ. The good soil are softened hearts, that are receptive to the word. That part's clear. What about the uncomprehending, right? Group number one, the crowds, them, those outside the house. Well, that's clearly soil number one, the path. So I'm going back to the parable of the sower. Number one, the uncomprehending crowds. What do they do? Verse 19, they hear, they do not understand. The exact opposite. Seeds are cast, both soils hear, one understands, one does not understand. Their hearts are hard. How do we know they don't understand? Because they don't bear the fruit. What's the fruit? Turning to Jesus. There's no turning to Jesus. They may have heard the words. They don't understand them. There's no root. These seeds are devoured by the birds. That is a picture of the evil one snatching them away. They're just on the surface of the path for a few moments for the evil one comes and snatches them away. That's what's happened in chapters 11 and 12 as Jesus preaches over and over and over again, and he's not heard. And they end up saying, we just need another sign. That's the hard-hearted, uncomprehending crowds. Now, there's a clear distinction between the path and the good soil, between the hard and the soft. One hears, the other hears, 
but only one understands. But in the parable, it's not so clear cut. There's two more types of soils, right? There, there, there's another, I think, type of hearer. There's a third type of hearer Jesus gives us. There's the un, uncomprehending, and then there's the understanding. But somewhere in the middle, we're going to call this hearer the untested. Those who haven't been tested. They've heard. We don't know yet if they understand. The jury's still out, you might say. I know some of you are pretty good gardeners. You like to work with plants, and you know a key to growing good vegetables or flowers is good soil. And you know that certain seeds thrive in certain types of soil. And so you can actually check the type of soil you have, right? You give it a little test, and it can have this amount of minerals or not enough of this or too much of that, and you can add or you can take away, and you can sort of get your soil to be good soil so that seeds will grow. What Jesus is, is, is doing is he's giving us a little, maybe it's a hearing check, it's also a soil check, right? It's checking on our hearts. How, how is, brother, sister, or friend with us this morning, how is the soil of your heart? There's two types of tests. For those who have received the word, we don't yet know if they understand it. The first test is the rocky ground. That's the second Soil, what happens there? The seed springs up and would plant. But when the sun comes out, it's scorched. The soil's not deep enough. It's on rocky ground. There's no depth, so it withers away. The image of this is someone who has heard and they've received the word immediately with joy. But when hardship comes, when the sun comes out, when they have roots not deep enough to reach the water, they fall away. What is that test? The test of the sun coming out is the test of tribulation and persecution. It's not just any hardship. It's not just any suffering. It is tribulation and persecution on account of the word. Or as Jesus says other way, in other places, because of me. This is suffering as a Christian because we're a Christian, not for being a jerk, not for being an employee that's hard to work with, not for being a mean boss, suffering particularly on account of the word. We can look at the, the life of the apostles, we can look at, uh, at the global church, and we can see all sorts of ways that Christians are persecuted and endure tribulations on account of the gospel. It's in many places violent. For the disciples, it was bloody. Many of them gave their own lives. We live in the kindness of God in a place, in a day, in an age in which we don't see that level of, of bloody, violent, life-taking persecution. And yet we still have what some have called a form of soft persecution. Christians in our country, in our culture today, still do experience a level of pressure not to be a Christian. Or pressure to be a Christian, but not quite that much of a Christian, right? Or not that type of a Christian, what happens when the sun comes out? What happens when tribulation arises? Some immediately fall away because there's no roots. It's just rocky soil. Now, you know as well as I do, that's not the only option when the sun comes out. The same sun that beats in the seed on the, the rocky soil also beats on the seeds on the good soil. But the seeds on the good soil, what happens when persecution comes? They endure. Jesus, the, the, God talks about this in Psalm 1. The man is blessed whose leaf does not wither. 
The effect of the test is to fall away or it is to endure. It's worth asking ourselves this morning, you who have heard the word, you who have received it with joy, how are you doing with the trials? How's it going with the tribulations on account of his word? Are you enduring or are you beginning to fall away? The other test here is a totally different kind of test. It's not really hardship. It's not suffering. It's kind of good stuff, right? The, the final one on our list is the third of the soils. Uh, it is the one among thorns. The seed is sown. It grows up. It is choked out by the thorns. It's presumably just as big as, as the other one on good soil, but it doesn't bear any fruit because the thorns are choking it out, surrounding it, uh, removing its life, its fruitfulness. What is this test? This test are the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches. The cares of the world, that's not actually bad stuff. That's kind of anything. Uh, we all have cares. We have responsibilities. We have duties in this life. And those aren't bad, right? I need to make sure there's food in the fridge so that my kids have something to eat tomorrow, right? That is a concern of the world. That's not bad, is it? But you know as well as I do, the cares of the world can become like thorns, vines surrounding us, choking us, strangling us, such that when Jesus tells us to seek first the kingdom of heaven, we have no idea what he means, because we've only ever sought first the kingdom of this world, the general neutral stuff of life is choking out the fruitfulness of the gospel within us. The other part of that is what Jesus calls the deceitfulness of of riches. Oh, they are deceitful, are they not? That word could be translated the delight of riches or the seductive effect of wealth. What does it mean for riches to be deceitful? It means this they offer what they cannot deliver. Riches are nothing but empty promises, they offer what they cannot deliver. And let me just say this for all of us so we're clear on this you don't have to be rich to be deceived by riches. You don't have to be rich to be deceived by riches. Do you notice what exactly riches and worries of the world choke? They choke out the word. They, they choke out the word in us so that God's voice is quieter and quieter. And maybe we haven't been vehemently building up that wall against Jesus, but we are carelessly allowing the cares of the world to wrap their tentacles around our hearts. What, that which began with joy proves unfruitful over time. This parable demands that every one of us examine the soil of our hearts. Not the soil 10 years ago, not the soil when I was a teenager and came to Jesus. Not the soil when I was eight and made a profession of faith and joined the church. Today, today, there's a time period, isn't there, between when a seed is planted and when it proves to be fruitful or unfruitful? God, that's where we live. Have we fallen away or have we proven to be unfruitful? Have the thorns of the cares and deceitfulness of this world grown up around your heart and strangled out the fruit of the word? 
Every stage of our life brings new cares, doesn't it? What, eight-year-old, what you eight-year-olds worry about is different than what you 88-year-olds worry about, right? The riches for a 13-year-old are different than the riches for a 63-year-old. But they have the same effect on us. Think about this. Are, are you, do you find yourself making less and less time for God and his word? Do you find yourself making less and less time for God and his people and his church? Do you find that the, the worries and cares of the world, not even for bad things, but that those worries and cares are pulling you away from God and away from his word and away from his people and away from the church? Do you find yourself telling stories of the past but not experiencing Christ in fresh ways today? That's a sign you may have had that joy once, but it is gone. As David has said, have you lost the joy of your salvation? Are petty concerns in your family, at the workplace, in your marriage, at the church, are those petty concerns dominating you? Are you not moved by the cross of Christ and the empty tomb like you once were? The name for this, the biblical name for this, is found in the book of Revelation. And it is that you have lost your first love. As Jesus will say to the church in Ephesus, in Revelation chapter 2, verse 4, I have this against you, you have abandoned the love you had at first. You have abandoned the love you had at first. You have lost Christ as your first love. I want you to hear this very clearly as we close. Our Lord does not shame you for this. Our God does not punish you for this. He offers himself to you over and over and over again. The last brick in that wall will not be laid until the day of your death, and you can still hear his voice calling you, commanding you to return. To not just hear, but to understand. What happens to the seed planted in the good soil? It bears fruit. What's the fruit? It's turning to God. It is returning to God this very day. What does Jesus say to the church in Ephesus when he calls them out for losing the first love? Verse 5, he says, Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first, return to me. Dear friends, dear brothers and sisters in Christ, hear him now. He has tested the soil of your heart. He has called you to turn to him. There is one question that remains. Do you understand him? Let's pray. Our Lord, I pray that you would weigh heavy upon our hearts this morning. I pray that the words of this passage would be a deep test of our hearing and our understanding. I pray that you would, by your spirit, give us deep insight into where we're at today, into where we're struggling, into how we are trusting, into if we are even hearing. 
But Lord, I pray for every one of us that the weight of conviction would pale at the face of the glory of the gospel of Jesus. And that we would flee from our failings. We would flee from our concerns and how we have fallen in the deceitfulness of riches, how we have fallen, been facing persecution, and we would see the beauty and the glory and the grace of Jesus. And your spirit would work in our hearts this very day to move us off of the path, away from the rocky ground, escaping from the thorns and resting at peace in the good soil of our Lord and Savior. This is a gift that you alone give. And we pray that to every one of us, it would be given this day. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to close in a minute coming to the Lord's table. Before we do, we're going to sing part of a hymn uh, to prepare us. In your hymnal, you can turn to uh, number 193. The hymn is entitled, Let All Mortal Flesh Keep Silence. We'll sing the first two verses. Put our hymnals down, come to the table, and then we'll pick up to conclude with our final two verses.